Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, everybody. It's Bob Vetter here. Before we get started, and just in case you have to get off this podcast early, if you'd like to get underway with your own healing and clear away any energetic blockages, you can get on a free call with me. Go to HealWithBob.com. Welcome back, listeners. I'm here for part two of this interview series with Robbie, Robbie Holtz, who has some amazing stories about work with uh, the Australian Aboriginal people. And in our last session, we heard about her personal story of healing, how she was healed, how her husband was healed of incredible illnesses. And we've been weaving through this, some themes of how healing works, what causes illness, and how to bring ourselves back into a state of balance. Robbie Holtz, welcome back. Thank you, Bob. It's a real pleasure to be here. And I'm fascinated by your story. Uh, we'll be picking up this time to look at some of the, the particular healers who had the most impact on you, or teachers in general, the, the teachers of this spiritual healing discipline. Can you take us through a sure. little bit about who you've met and what they taught you? Oh my gosh, where to start? But I'll keep it. I'll, I'll keep it to uh, the ones who I think are, are most interesting to you and had the most significance to me. I think that you know, right off the bat, I have to say that I, it, I was invited to participate in Aboriginal healing ceremonies with the tribes women in the remote outback of Australia. This is back in 2008. The tribes women. What's happening is that they were deciding to give more of this information that they have safeguarded they're giving more of it out. They decided they wanted to open it up to other people. So the women wanted to do this. They wanted to have healing ceremonies and invite other people from around the world, you know, like maybe two dozen. And the men did not want to do this. They did not want to open this information up or these ceremonies because they're very, quite sacred. And white men have taken so much from them. So understandably, but the women won out, as you can imagine. Um, <laughs> so the men were in a different location sort of safeguarding and holding us safe while we perform these ceremonies. So I traveled with, I invited a friend of mine to come from the United States. And uh, there were about 24 amazing women from around the world who were going to participate in these ceremonies. Now, it's so fascinating to be with the Aboriginal tribes women. They, they do things very differently than we do. They hold ceremony, and maybe you experience this too, but they hold ceremony when it's right, not because it's five o'clock Friday night or whatever. So they were built, I could, I could wake up during the night and see these hieroglyphic, Aboriginal hieroglyphics in my mind's eye, right? My third eye. I didn't know what was going on, but I knew they were working on me. They were raising my vibration, my frequency to be able to participate in these ceremonies. So eventually uh, they would call ceremony and we would, run to the ceremony and you just wear a black skirt. Uh, that's it. 
and you participate in the ceremonies. And I, I will not disclose what we did in the ceremonies because I'm honoring that secrecy. But I can tell you that what happened was over a period of a couple of days, the energy built up so strong that we created thunderstorms that they had not seen in that outback for a long, long time. And they said that it was because the white women that were invited added that energy to what they, they needed water for, for food, for crops. But what happened was to me personally, and I described this in the Aboriginal Secrets of Awakening book, what happened during the ceremonies is I could not just intellectually know it, but I could feel that we were all one. I could feel it to my core. I could feel the, um, the dragonfly in front of me, how that just blended into the rock, which blended into the, the people. It was all one. But I also could feel in those ceremonies, which I had not experienced before, tremendous passionate love for Mother Earth for us. Be, it just loves us so much. And so it was because we were in those high frequencies during those ceremonies, I was able to really feel that. So that was really a, a couple of eye-opening experiences for me. And, and just the information that they've given me. And they, um, again, these tribes women, again, conveyed to me, they wanted me to get this information out there. I wanted to make sure that we were doing it with their permission. And they did. They, they again, yes, please get this information out. So that was a powerful instructors that sort of shift you in a different direction you start realizing as they do there's no competition there's no judgment there's no ego we're just here to support each other in love simplicity and gratitude love simplicity and gratitude and that's how they live and that's what they've taught me and that's what i try to or, or move towards so the other uh huge mentor in my life was my late husband gary now, he was uh, this physicist uh, um, who came back, transformed from the outback. I met him. He went into the outback in 94. I met him in 2002. And he taught me so much that the Aboriginal tribes people had taught him. And so that really made a big difference is waking up to this man who can now see on the other side of the veil, who can converse very easily with spirit guides and angels who can see inside the body, he can see the blockages, the energies, he can see how many tumors were inside people. And he really opened me up to that world because it hadn't been part of my world before. Now, when he passed, he came to me a year before he died. And he said, uh, you know, I, he spends a lot of time, uh, the Aboriginal people spend a lot of the remote ones, spend at least half their time in what we might call meditation. It's, it's like a dream, dreaming where they're communicating in the other realms and they're in these, that's more real to them than this world. This is an illusion to them. And so he started doing the same thing where he would spend a lot of time connecting to the other side. And the Aboriginal people start doing it when they're like at age three, they start connecting very strongly. Whereas here in quote unquote civilized the world, our minds are constantly controlling us and busy, 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 and we're not really tapping into that inner wisdom within. Um, so Gary taught me about all of that, and he would tell me about what the guides are saying, what the angels are saying, who's showing up. And a, a year before he was going to pass, 
he said that his guy, Julie, had told him that he would be leaving in a year because he could help more from the other side. And we were extremely upset about that. Um, but recognized if he can do more from the other side, then we need to just let go of this. And so he did pass a year later. But what I didn't expect, Bob, was for him to show up every morning after he passed. He had this very distinctive uh, energetic visual that it was like an eyeball looking at you. And he would show up at eight o'clock every morning, promptly, not 801, not 758, eight o'clock, except one year when the time zone had changed in the spring and he was an hour off. But other than that, the guy was really, really punctual. And what happened is he started helping me develop the, my ability to communicate to the other side and recognizing that I was a medium. And now he's part of my, I have this uh, healing spirit team that I work with and he's part of the team, very involved. Aboriginal healers, deceased Aboriginal healers are part of the team as are others, but it helped, he helped me develop those abilities and, and start recognizing, you know, that there's so much help available to all of us. And, and that's something that I've just recently put out a book about how to communicate and work with your guardian angels. And that's a whole other story, but that help is available to everybody and it will help you heal faster if you start using that help from the other side. Now, how, how exactly does he show up to you at 8 o'clock in the morning? I mean, how, how do you perceive it? Bob, he would show up every single morning at 8 o'clock for at least a year. And what I would see is it would look like an eyeball. Uh, and my sister, who lived with us briefly, because business, when he started healing people, we couldn't keep up with it. I needed help, you know. So my sister came and lived with us for a while. We lived in this uh, big house. And she also saw the same pattern. It's like, a, it's like an outline of an eye. Um, and I noticed it one time when he was still here uh, in the physical form. I was in the shower. We were in a hotel. And whenever we go back to visit my family and friends in the Midwest, everybody would want him to work on him. So we ended up having to stay in a hotel for a month, you know, with a suite to help people. And I remember being in that hotel shower with my eyes closed, shampooing my hair, and I'm seeing this vision of an eyeball, like black and white. And then I realized, oh, he's in the other room lying on the bed working on me while I'm in here taking a shower. So I, I asked him when I got out, was that you? And he, he just got busted. Yeah, he was, he was helping. He was working on me. Uh, he was helping me stay healthy. He wanted to make sure that I was going to be fine emotionally and physically when he left. And so that eyeball, that black and white pattern of an eyeball is what I would see every morning. And he would start becoming telepathic to me, communicating and putting songs in my head. I describe all that in the uh, Aboriginal Secrets of Awakening book, how he really just gently pushed me forward because um, I was in a lot of grief. So not only did he help me get over the grief, but he also helped me recognize how I could continue to move forward, but now take his place as the healer. Mm. So I want to go back to this, this chain of events to really get how this unfolded. I, it, the connection is very clear 
between Gary and you and how he worked on you and how he taught you and how he guided you in becoming kind of the, the, the kind of healer that you are today. I want to understand a little bit more about his early time himself in working with the Aboriginal people and how this exactly how this transmission took place. So when he went down there, I know it was in order for him to be healed. Did he continue to go back in order to have this transmission of teachings for him or did that all happen kind of at the same time? That's a good question. He went back a year later one more time for a couple of days and said, you know, um, I'm not completely healed. I still need to use a wheelchair sometimes. Although he was no longer a quadriplegic, he still had difficulty at times. And they said, that's the rest is up to you because they knew that his soul did not intend for him to completely heal. And by, and Gary will tell you, and, and I, I love that he, he will tell you that the best gift in life was that wheelchair because it helped him slow down. He was this very hyperactive, like I said, literally globetrotting award-winning physicist. And so it, that wheelchair forced him to slow down and forced him to really connect to the other side to really connect like the Aboriginal people do. So he would be in the other room, <laughs> he'd be in the other room and I'd hear him start laughing. And he'd tell me that Ray was one of the healers. There were two healers that came in because they needed to communicate to him. And Ray, he and Ray were just conversing. Now Ray's in remote Australia, and it, but he's quite the character. And he was always dancing around and playing the clown and getting us to laugh when things got really serious. Ray would always show up, right? So Gary would start communicating to Ray. And that's the same thing with the Aboriginal people. Distance and time is nothing. And so he started really communicating to them more and they were helping him more. He started becoming aware that he had, and like everybody, the thing you have to, I have to get my mind out of the way. He had to get his mind out of the way because that's the thing when you go on these journeys is the mind wants to negate it. It tells you, no, you can't do that. This is crazy. And we both had to learn to get the mind out of the way and let things just flow. And what was the, what is the, the way of getting the mind out of the way? When my mind tells me, you didn't really get that thought from the other side. Uh, you can't possibly be telling, helping people. You can't possibly be, I mean, people will laugh at you. What's your family going to think? What are your friends going to say? They're going to think you're crazy because it, it, our culture still calls it woo-woo, which I refuse to do that anymore. So you have to let, recognize that the mind is afraid of that stuff and that recognize if spirit wants me to do these things then they will help me they will help me find the money to um for, to do to get the books out to help get to do whatever it is i need to do but a lot of times we just negate things so what i had to do is i needed to start paying attention to the validation that i got that there was no way you could explain that away no way and hold on to that 
until you start building enough of those up, enough of those validations. And I actually started writing them down. And I would go back and read it whenever my mind was in fear or doubting so that you start realizing, oh, it's real. And I work with people all the time and they, they, they have that. And so they have that fear. And it's like, eventually you'll start seeing enough stuff. You'll start paying attention. The signs are everywhere. The messages are all the time. It's just that our mind doesn't recognize it or it doesn't want to. So you have to, it, it's in your best interest to start just quieting the mind. Let's just explore. Let's just see. And, uh, and keep a list that it is, they are so clearly here. Now you used the, the word meditation earlier and that word has a lot of different meanings to different people and in different contexts. And, and mm -hmm. part of it is taking our attention from the outside world and turning it inward so that we look inside instead of at this material consensus reality. So can you tell me, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by meditation in this context or what, what it means to the Aboriginal people and, and how that turned into a discipline for you? That's a great question. When the Aboriginal people do dream time, as we call it, they're able to access other dimensions. For instance, you may want to, they, I'm just using as an example that if you wanted to meditate on that chair, they would actually become the chair, right? They're very more, they, they were able, they were able to shape shift. They were able to remote view. They're able to do all that through quieting the mind and accessing this inner wisdom, this collective, this consciousness deep within us. What I've discovered and everybody else that goes down this path too realizes that the guidance from the other side is very subtle, very quiet, and that's deliberate. You've got to be quiet to be able to feel it and sense it. And you cannot do that if their mind is chatty. It's really like a disease that we have here, this incessant thinking. It's just part of the culture. So meditation to me is about learning how to develop. I, 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 we put this in the Vibrant Living, my, my, my latest book, talks about how, meditating and how to do it, and recognizing the importance of it. And it's like meditation is like going to the gym for your mind. You're learning how to develop that intuition. But basically what you're doing is you're learning how to control your thoughts rather than your thoughts controlling you. You become more observant and you choose to quiet the mind, quiet the mind, bring it back to the breath. And that's when you can feel that peace, that default setting of peace, that default setting of just quiet. You've got to calm the mind down to be able to feel that. And so it, it, developing a meditation is one of the most effective things you can do, even if you just simply quiet your mind for 10 minutes. Now you can do an active meditation, mowing the lawn, washing the dishes, gardening. It's, what it is is it's focusing the mind so that the mind isn't running off in every direction, taking you down dark alleys of the past or the future or what's on my to-do list. You're staying focused. That's the skill that you're developing with meditation. And everybody, everybody, I don't care how skilled you are as a meditator, the mind will keep coming up with thoughts, but you just let it go. And you get better at just letting it go. 
<laughs> now, what that what what it certainly strikes me as when you when you talk about uh, the breath, when you talk about taking your mind off of all of these other things, off of the chatter, I think of something like vipassana meditation. And what I mean is that we have these very specific so-called techniques of meditation um, that are ways for us to slow down the mind. And there are mm -hmm. plenty of people who practice that who never describe the kind of amazing phenomena that you do. So is there a two-part to this? In other words, do, do you learn to slow down the mind first and then use an intentionality to tune into these other aspects of it, the dream time? What, what's the way of transitioning from the slowing down of the mind to the actual experience of dream time? I think you've got to be pretty skilled to be able to experience the dream time like the room when Aboriginal people do. And I know a lot of people really try very hard to make that happen. But I think just keep it more simple. If you can spend, work your way up to 10 minutes a day, quieting the mind, just simply sitting there, feeling the senses, focusing on the breath, the sounds, the sense, you know, all the, engage all the senses if you want to. There's so many techniques. But basically what you're doing is you're learning how to bring the mind back, bringing it back. And it's better to do 10 minutes a day than 60 minutes on the weekend. Do 10 minutes a day. Do something that's so, it's just so doable. There's no way you won't. Mm -hmm. Whether you're focusing on something, whether you're just quiet, breathing, Start out with a couple, and, and you know, a friend of mine said, if you think you don't have time to meditate, you need to go sit and think about that for a while, you know? <laughs> that becomes your meditation. <laughs> that becomes your meditation. <laughs> because what happens is the minds control us. Yeah. So you're learning how to control the mind and control and becoming more observed. Most of us are living a very unconscious life, very not mindful. So by being able to engage in this, you start learning how to control and observe and direct because the aboriginal people have said you guys really don't know how to use your subconscious minds you really aren't using it you're not creating what you want you're unconsciously creating what you don't want so when you do this when you start developing through meditation and that's like the word exercise you know it has a lot of bad feelings to it come up with another word quieting you know no my time silencing but it's just an opportunity to when you do that you start developing and tuning up that intuition which is how we are guided that intuition is like a muscle and the more you quiet down and feel that intuition and use it that sixth sense that gut instinct the easier it is to feel the guidance from your soul the other side of the veil the spirit guides the angels yeah we're just well, not in touch with that this is all very, very valuable information. So thank you so much, Robbie Holtz, for part two. We're going to find out a lot more to this story in our part three that's coming up. So thank you so much for being with us again, Robbie. You're so welcome. And thank you, everyone, hope you for enjoyed listening. today's show. If you're a very spiritual person who just needs a little help clearing away what's been holding you back through some relatively quick healing techniques, get on my calendar for a free call. Go to healwithbob.com.
This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world. 